my name is Ben Post. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry, and I love that I get to be in here with you guys tonight. Give yourselves a hand, huh? Uh, okay, so this is my family. Uh, that's me. Uh, that's my son, Jaden. He's five and a half, as he would say. That's my son, Eli. And that's my wife, Stacy. And we love to have fun. Uh, anyway, I grew up in Kentwood, Michigan. Yeah, Kentwood, it was awesome. Uh, this red dot right there is my house when I you know, grew up. Uh, and if I could take you on a riveting tour of Kentwood, Michigan, the first place we would stop on our tour would be here. This is my house growing up in Kentwood, Michigan. Uh, so my parents have lived in this house. It'll be 40 years in January. Uh, I lived there the first 19 years of my life. Uh, and as I look at this picture, or whenever I visit my parents' house, these memories kind of come back to me of like the good old days, right? Or these other experiences that we had back in the day. So for example, me and my brother, we played a lot of basketball in our driveway growing up. Rain, shine, snow, good attire or not, we were playing basketball in the driveway. That picture was not taken recently, in case you were wondering. Uh, man, that is just awkward. I can't believe I'm using this picture. Anyway, I don't care. Um, or, you know, we would be playing home run derby in the side yard with the neighbors, and we would celebrate when we would hit it over the fence, sort of, because we were also a little bit leery about having to go get the ball from the creepy neighbors that live next door, right? So it was sort of like the sandlot without a big scary dog, right? So, um, or, you know, Christmas and holidays and dinners and stuff like that with the family. Whenever I'm home, I'm remembering these experiences that I had as a kid growing up. Uh, another one, Christmas tradition. I'm assuming a lot of people have the same tradition. But one of the Christmas traditions in my family is after we eat a nice Christmas dinner, uh, we have chocolate pudding for dessert. And... As we eat our chocolate pudding, the men in the house eat it without spoons and without shirts. <laughs> that is a tradition in our house. Anybody else share this Christmas tradition with your family? You guys, you are missing out. Uh, anyway, I know we're weird. Whatever. So these are some of the memories that I have of my house. And each of you have your stories and you have your experiences and you have your memories, whether it's your house and your family growing up or whether it's, you know, middle school. I mean, everybody loved middle school, right? Best years ever, said no one ever. Um, if you drive by your middle school, you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember this story and that story or a local park or whatever it is because I think place holds memory. There's something about place that holds memory. And I don't think this is just true for us today, here and now. I think this was true in the ancient times as well. 
Before we dive into uh, our story tonight, first of all, I'd like to just say, welcome to the well. I've already said that, I think. Uh, I thought it would be helpful to take a minute to explain why we call this gathering the well. Water is essential for life. During the time of the Bible, new cities and villages would be established if there was a water source there. And in the arid landscape of the ancient Middle East, wells were essential for survival. Everybody needed water that was found at the city well, and so everybody went there. People would rest at the well after a long journey. They would go there for conversation with friends. They would bring their sheep or their goats and water them at the well. It was also common, actually, for a man to find his spouse at the well. Which was, hey, uh, which was true for Isaac and Jacob and Moses. Most importantly, often people would meet with God at the well. So, welcome to the well. We are glad that you guys are here. We hope that this place can be a community where you can build friendships and relationships through meaningful conversations. We hope that you can hang out with your friends here. We hope that this is a place where you can meet with God. And as for the spouse thing, (laughs) we'll just have to see what happens. It's happened before. It'll probably happen again. Best of luck to you all. (laughs) If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to the Gospel of Mark? If you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, just go ahead and raise your hand. We have some friends in the back that would love to hand you a Bible. So if you'd like a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. As you are finding your way to Mark chapter 1, or if you're finding your way to having a Bible... Uh, know that we totally support technological devices, you know, if that's helpful for you to use your phone or whatever as well. You're welcome for that permission. I don't know why I say that. Uh, This semester at the well, we're going to talk about the importance of place in the Bible. Because not only are the general idea of stories in the biblical text important, but I think where these stories take place often give us additional insight Uh, to help us better understand what is actually going on in the story and therefore how we shall live our lives. Uh, This semester, we're gonna dive into the book of Mark. Um, Specifically, we're gonna look at Jesus' life and ministry as it takes place in the Galilee region. And so the name of our series together this semester is With Jesus in Galilee, according to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, So we're going to take a look at the beginning of Mark's gospel, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Also, I'll just say this. We have a tradition here in campus ministry that after the person who's reading scripture uh, is finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we invite you to say, thanks be to God, as a response. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. 
baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was Mark chapter 1, 1 through 15. Now we know from the other gospels a little bit more of the backstory of, um, of Jesus growing up. So we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know that he grew up in Nazareth. We know that he was a carpenter uh, alongside his dad, and he did that for the first 30 years of his life in Nazareth. Uh, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and he was called by God to help announce and prepare people for the life and the ministry of Jesus. The Messiah, he is coming and he is here. Get ready. Um, so the gospel writers point us to a number of key moments in the life of Jesus, moments that dramatically changed Jesus' life here on earth. And I think the first big moment in Jesus' life is his baptism. Uh, Mark 1, verse 9, it says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Okay, so uh, I like maps. My wife, Stacey, also likes maps. So I'm going to show you guys some map stuff throughout the semester here. Uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth up here. And then when he went to go get baptized, he did a short walk all the way down over here, and he was baptized in this region here in the Jordan River. Uh, a note about the Jordan River. So this is the Sea of Galilee, this is the Dead Sea, and this is the Jordan River, which kind of starts, you can kind of see the white up here, that's Mount Hermon. And the Jordan River kind of starts at the base of Mount Hermon. This is about 25 miles, and then from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea is about another 65 miles, as the crow flies anyway. Uh, but as it meanders, it's about 200 miles from the top to the bottom of the Jordan River. Um, Jordan River, it looks sort of like this, in case you wanted to know. Uh, there's the Jordan River. It's not the Mississippi. It's not nearly as big or as extravagant as the Mississippi. Uh, it is very fast-flowing for a river of its size. It drops in about 3,000 feet of elevation in, over the course of those um, miles or so. And there's more pictures of the Jordan River there. Uh, the Jordan River is mentioned about 200 times in the biblical text. And one of the most significant stories, I think, of the entire Old Testament also involved the Jordan River. And I want to take a look 
briefly at that story tonight and try to connect that story from the Old Testament with the story of Jesus and his baptism in Mark chapter one. So turn to Joshua chapter three, if you would. Joshua chapter three. In this story, the Israelites are on the bank of the Jordan River. They just got done wandering in the desert or in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were finally ready to enter into the promised land or what is known as the promised land. Remember, just before they were wandering in the desert, uh, Moses and the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery and they left Egypt, they left slavery and eventually they had to cross through the Red Sea um, which God parted the Red Sea and he showed his power and his might and his faithfulness and all of those kinds of things. Now, it seems like there's the same story happening again, but instead of with Moses and the Israelites, it's Joshua and the Israelites. Instead of the Red Sea, it's the Jordan River. It's the same kind of situation. They're standing on the banks. They don't know how to get across, and the only way for it to happen is for um, the, the, I almost said the sea, the river to be parted. Uh, was God going to do it again? Joshua chapter three, verse one. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Jump down to verse seven. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Sorry, I jumped down to verse 14. Uh, <laughs> my bad. Verse 15, now when the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so in this story in Joshua chapter three, there are three things that I wanna kind of briefly point out in this story. In this story in Joshua chapter three, it required an incredible amount of faith. Okay, it required an incredible amount of faith. So the Jordan River, it's fast flowing, it's at flood stage. Uh, the Jordan River today has been used for irrigation, it's kind of been dammed up, it's much, it's much smaller today than what it was back in ancient times. The Jordan River back then was probably about 100 feet wide and three to 10 feet deep. But during flood stage, it's probably twice as wide and twice as deep. So a couple hundred feet wide, 10 to 20 feet deep, give or take, right? Uh, the priests are carrying what is known as the Ark of the Covenant. They would be carrying these things on poles. And the Ark of the Covenant is God's presence. At this time, this was God's house. This is where God lived. This is where he dwelled. And God tells the priest to step into the Jordan River while they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And I love this. It says, when their feet touch the water's edge, 
Then the water from upstream stopped flowing. They didn't sit around on the banks and say, okay, God, we're, we're trusting that you can do this because we know you did it, you know, with a Red Sea. It required some action from them. The text says when their feet touched the water's edge, when their feet got wet, when they had enough faith to step in, even if it was rushing like crazy and 10 feet deep, once their toes touched the water, that is when the Jordan River parted. I like to call that wet feet kind of faith. I often feel like we like to sit and say, okay, God, I believe that you could do this. But to really take the initiative and say, I'm going to trust you enough to step in and get my feet wet. And then the waters parted. That's the first thing. Second thing, God's presence. So the story tells us the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's presence, his house, like I already, like I already mentioned. And the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they were to step in the Jordan River first. Once they stepped in, once their feet got wet, then the rest of the river parted. Then the text says that they stood in the middle of the Jordan River holding the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence. And all of the rest of the Israelites, the thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites passed through the Jordan River while God's presence is in the middle. And after all of them have passed through, then the Ark of the Covenant and the priests walked out last. And I love this part of the story because I think God's presence, God was going before them, in front of them. God was in the midst of them. And God was following behind them. God was around them and surrounding them with his presence at all times during this story. Third thing about this story is new identity. So the Israelites, they were wandering in the wilderness in the desert for 40 years. They didn't really have a goal. They didn't really have a purpose. They didn't really have a mission. They were just surviving one day after another as I read the story, right? But then once they crossed the Jordan River, their identity and their purpose as a community changed. They went from wandering, having nothing really to do that they had to do or whatever to having a clearer mission and a clearer purpose to live as a community of God's people and to be a light to the nations around them. And as you read the book of Joshua, that becomes really clear. So they required wet feet kind of faith. God's presence was surrounding them at all times. And then once they moved through these waters, they had a new identity, a new purpose, a new mission that they were to live into. Okay? Place holds Memory. Now, check this out. The baptism of Jesus also, in my opinion, required some faith. He left the comfort of his home in Nazareth. He's just a carpenter guy hanging out in rural town, Nazareth. And then he left the comfort of his hometown and his family and his friends to go to a new place. And he's baptized in the Jordan River and then he eventually begins his new life and his new ministry. God's presence 
is obvious in this story in Mark chapter 1. It says in verse 10, Mark 1 verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water of the Jordan, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God's presence is clearly here with Jesus during his baptism. And not just during his baptism, but also as you keep reading, he's then tempted in the desert for the next 40 days. And while he was tempted, it says the angels were attending him. God's presence was still with him even though he was being tempted. And I know it's weird to talk about God's presence was with Jesus because Jesus is God, right? And he's God's son and it's just this weird thing. But I also think it's just helpful to kind of separate them uh, for the sake of this, uh, the sake of the story, I guess. Um, new identity. In Mark chapter one, Jesus was a carpenter, small rural town, Nazareth, not a, terribly, not a terrible thing, obviously, but after his baptism, he was ready to live into a new call, a new purpose, a new mission. And I think that becomes pretty clear here. Um, verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. And Jesus never goes back. He never looks back at what his life was. He never goes back to being a carpenter. Not that being a carpenter is a bad thing, but there was a new purpose for his life after he had entered into the Jordan River. Jesus kind of went from sort of sitting on the sidelines. I don't know if I can say that. It sort of felt that way though, right? Sort of sitting on the sidelines to being in the game. He's ready to go. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go, right? So why was Jesus baptized in the Jordan River. And not just anywhere along these 150 or so miles of the Jordan River, Jesus was baptized actually in the very same spot that the Israelites had crossed over 1,400 years earlier when they went into the Promised Land. Here's a map. So the Israelites, they were camped at Abel Shatim, and then they crossed over here and they went to Jericho. Sorry, the map, you can hardly read it, but trust me, that's what it says. Uh, Jesus comes down from Nazareth and over by Jericho is where he is baptized and then the blue thing there signifies that's where he was in the wilderness and then eventually he went back up to the north again. After God opened the Jordan River for the Israelites, the Jordan River actually became synonymous with fulfillment of God's promises. And then in Joshua chapter four, they set up a pile of rocks to help them remember God's faithfulness and how God came through with his promises. And no promise in the scriptures was bigger, greater, or more important than God's promise to provide the coming rescuer. So when Jesus was inaugurated into his role by being baptized in the Jordan River, it also served as a reminder to God's people that God always keeps his promises. Place holds memory. What about you? What about us? What steps of faith might God be asking you to take? 
Many of you are taking huge steps of faith every day right now. Many of you are new students to Grand Valley. We know it's hard. We know it's hard. We know it's like, who are my friends going to be? What is this place? What do I do with my life? Starting college is really hard. Not having friends or knowing who your real friends are going to be is really hard. Maybe you're finding some people to kind of hang out with, but you don't really know each other the way you knew your high school friends. There's no way that you can do that in two weeks' time. It takes time. It's really hard. Coming to things like the well or signing up for a life group, these kinds of things, they're hard. Maybe you came here tonight all by yourself. I don't know anybody else, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try to figure this thing out. That requires faith, and I think that requires wet feet kind of faith. So congratulations. Give yourselves a hand. You guys are doing it. It's awesome. God's presence. He's here. He's among us. Even if you feel him or not, whether you like, it's not even just here at the well, but God's presence is with you in your living center or in your apartment. Even when you feel like I don't have any other friends and I'm scared and I'm lonely and I'm crying myself to sleep, possibly. Even in these kinds of moments, God's presence is with you. And not just for new students. God's presence is with us. As you're trying to figure out this next stage of life, you're, maybe you're a senior and you're graduating and you're trying to figure out what is this next thing or am I going to get this internship or am I going to get into grad school or am I going to, there's all these hard things that are going around us all the time. Am I going to be able to put gas in my car this week? I don't have any money. Even in the midst of these hard things, God's presence is among us. He goes before us, he's in the midst of us, and he walks behind us. A new identity. As we kick off the school year together, my prayer, our prayer as a staff, is that each one of us will be willing to take steps of faith. I hope that we get our feet wet together this semester. And that as a community, we will help each other step into the chaos of the rushing water. That we will cling to the promise that God's presence is with us. And as we do these things together, may we take on a new identity. May our purpose become more clear. May our mission become more clear. Maybe we're sitting on the sidelines and maybe it's time to not just watch Christianity, but get in the game. And take on this new identity and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm in. I want to journey with you. And I want to be part of what you're doing in this world. This is the story of Joshua and the Israelites. This is also the story of Jesus and his baptism. What's your story going to be? What story or stories are you going to write this semester? What steps of faith will you take? 
Where will you trust that God is gonna come through with his promises? And in what ways will you live into this new identity that he is giving you? Please pray with me. God, we give you thanks for life and for breath. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this community. I pray specifically right now for barriers that people in here are currently facing. God, I pray for the the new students to Grand Valley, whether freshmen or transfer, international students, whatever, people who are trying to figure out this new life here at Grand Valley. God, we know it's hard. And there's lots of questions that are going on and there's things that are challenging about each and every day. Not just for new students, God, but I just pray that you will help all of us with whatever barriers we are facing in our lives. A relationship that we might be in, a job we might be looking for, other unknown things regarding the future. God, whatever it is, I pray that you'll give us courage to step out, to get our feet wet. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust that you are gonna come through with your promises. God, we trust that you will provide what we need. We trust that you will provide friendships. We also pray for those that are facing temptations of various sorts. In those moments, God, I pray that you will have your presence be with them, be with us. Give us the strength and the courage to stand in those moments. We trust that your presence is with us now. We cling to your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. We are grateful for the stories that are found in the text. We're grateful for Joshua and the Israelites and we're grateful for Jesus and his example. God, help us to live into the life and and the calling that you've put on each of our lives. We pray all these things in your name.